Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Would you open your Bibles up to um, for, uh, Genesis chapter 1? This is the first book of the Bible, the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. And before we read the particular part of this book that we're going to study this morning, I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians a little bit. Uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders. And uh, Corinth was a very sophisticated city. It was a city that was very proud, had a lot of money, um, had a lot of games, a lot of temples. Uh, It was very proud of its spirituality, very proud of its intellectual tradition, very proud of its arts, very proud of its merchants. Uh, It was a lot like Bloomington, very much like Bloomington. And the Apostle Paul looked at the Christians there and he knew that they were browbeaten, that they were worn down by constantly having to live in a way that was contrary to the pride of the city. And so he reminded them of the truth of God. Now, what is the truth that he reminded them when he wrote them there in that ancient Bloomington? He said in verse 18 of chapter 1, For the word of the cross, which is a way of him referring to the Christian message, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Always scripture separates men. Jesus separates men. The Bible separates men. God is not embarrassed or ashamed about separating. And here you see a very clear statement of the separation. Where is, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so here's the separation. The gospel, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but those being saved, it's the power of God. Those who are perishing, stupid. Those who are being saved, the power of God. This is God speaking. He's the one that makes the division. God could have chosen for us to be saved by a king on a stallion. He could have chosen for us to be saved by believing in a stealth bomber and Wall Street. But he chose God incarnate in flesh on a cross naked being crucified by the Roman Empire. Utterly foolish, except to those who are being saved. And we look at it, and it's the wisdom of God. Let me keep going. For it is written, and any time the Bible says it is written, it's speaking about God. So it is written is a way of saying God says. For God says it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. So apparently God is not impressed by our wisdom, right? God doesn't want to be approved of by Bloomington. God doesn't want an honorary doctorate. Okay? He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. You just see God backhang. The cleverness of the clever. Just It's gone. All right? 
And this is God speaking. And then he says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? In other words, where's the academic? Where's the guy that has a, a, a CV that's 20 miles long with infinite publications? Where is the wise man? Where is the master of, of the article in the referee journals? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So God is not interested in our wisdom. Our disapproval, our, our, our sophisticated intellectual disapproval of God does not bother him. He, he is not bothered. God is God. And the reason I say this is because back Many, many years ago, thousands and thousands of years ago, God saw Bloomington in 2014. And he saw our self-righteousness. He saw our pride, our arrogance. He saw our petty morality, the things we take pride in and consider to be our best attributes, our best traits, our best knowledge. And God wrote the first chapter of the Bible to Bloomington in 2014. Knowing our wickedness, arrogance, petty morality, knowing the things we would take pride in today, God wrote Genesis chapter 1 to us today so that he would set aside our pride because our pride is stupid. But it's amazing the specificity, the particularity. It's amazing how incisive Genesis 1 is for us in Bloomington in 2014. How did God know what we were going to think today? How did he know that we would need every single thing that's said in Genesis chapter 1 to counterbalance and to repudiate Everything that Bloomington believes. And so when you come to Genesis 1, here's the problem. It's scandalous. And if you aren't reading Genesis 1, seeing the scandal of it, you're you're deaf, dumb, and blind. You're Tommy. Genesis 1 is a nuclear bomb against the sophistication of Bloomington. God saw Bloomington in 2014, and God wrote Genesis chapter 1 to us today. Now, you don't believe me, let's read it. Okay, please stand. And we do that to show our honor for the word of God. Not the words of men, but the word of God. I'm going to pick up with uh, verse 26 of chapter 1, and then um, we'll read through to the end of the chapter. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now you've heard this, most of you have heard this so many times that when I say to you that it is a direct attack upon the conceit of Bloomington in 2014, you get done with me reading it, you think, well, it's innocuous. And what is the first way that you say it's innocuous? Well, you, you refer to it as a myth. Yeah, it's one of the ancient Near Eastern myths like, you know, Gilgamesh, you know, all those things that the anthropologists tell us. They all had origin stories, and this is another origin story. And we don't have to take this much more seriously than the Epic of Gilgamesh or any of those ancient Near Eastern. You know what I'm saying? You know? And so we relativize this book as being just one more people group's record of their own search for transcendence. Are you with me? And so every people group wants some sort of transcendence. They want something to believe in after they die. And so they all come up with various ways of mediating the tension between what they are and what they know they were made to be. And generally that's religion. And this is just one people's group's religion, right? And so this is the Jewish, and Jews precede Christian. So this is sort of the Muslim, the Jewish, the Christian, the monotheistic kind of record of their search for transcendence. And you have to start at the beginning, and so this is what they think the beginning was like. And since I'm in a Christian church, I guess I have to sort of stand when they read it. But nobody takes it seriously. I mean, you know, six days, God, you know, male and female, be fruitful and multiply, you know, subdue, you know, that gave us the Cuyahoga River, and we all know how that ended. Right? Any of you from Cleveland? Nobody's from Cleveland? Well, the Cuyahoga River was the river that had so much crud on the top of it that it caught fire and they couldn't put the fire out. You know, subdue the earth, you know, the Cuyahoga River, you know. And so we just say, you know, it's a religious myth of a people group. And, you know, I'm tolerant. One myth is as good as another. And so, pastor, move on. I say, okay, I'll move on. (laughs) I'll move on. In the beginning, God. Well, which God? Well, there is only one God. Scripture says, you say, oh, your scripture. I say, no, the scripture. You say, what do you mean by the scripture? I say, the only book that is written by God. The only. You say, well, why do you say the Bible is written by God? I say, because it declares it. You say, well, that's circular. I say, yes, it is circular because God spoke it and God's the one that designed logic and reason. And so generally, when God says something, it's logical. Right? Because God's the author of the mind, of reason, of logic. 
And you say, yeah, but you haven't proven it. And I say, okay, fine. You want a man-centered proof. You don't want God revealing that this is his book. You don't want God saying that all scripture is me-breathed, theopneustos in Greek. You want me to give you a man-centered argument. All right, here's a man-centered argument for why when it says at the beginning of the book, in the beginning God, it's true. And it's God's book. Here's a man-centered argument. Name one other book ever written by man where it parades the failures and wickedness of every hero in the book. There's not one other in all of the written material that man has ever produced. There's no other book that makes a principle out of humiliating man and glorifying God. The best heroes of scripture are the ones that have the most glaring sin and therefore need Jesus the most. Think King David, synonymous with Judaism. And David is the one that not only committed adultery, got her pregnant, but then murdered her husband, who was like a Texas ranger, was like a special ops dude. It's mind-boggling. Why would a book do this? Well, remember what I said. The Bible is all about the humility of man and the glory of God. The Bible's all about us needing the blood of Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, it's all about Jesus, okay? In the beginning is how it starts, God. And Bloomington says, no. Bloomington says, in the beginning, brain. See all those idols all over town? There's still some left. It's big, like, images of gray matter. Have you seen them? You know, they're like this big. They're all over town, you know? In the beginning, mind, brain, intellect, right? But the Bible says in the beginning, God. God is not the invention of the intellect of man. God will judge the intellect of man. And he will judge it by his book. And it does not matter one bit whether the man being judged thinks it is God's book. It is God's book and he has revealed himself to us. In the beginning, God. And all Bloomington sort of stifles a yawn. Rolls their eyes. And walks. Hooded, pomp and circumstance. God says, in the beginning, God. Bloomington says, in the beginning, what? Well, not God. In the beginning, mass. In the beginning, matter. In the beginning, energy. In the beginning, primordial slime. But not God. In the beginning, God created. Now, how offensive is the Bible already with Bloomington? Do you think God had our number when he wrote it? In the beginning, God created. Oh, yeah, here we go. You know, have you ever noticed how ignorant Christians are? Christians are just really stupid. You know, they believe in God. They believe he was there in the beginning. They believe he created 
We know he didn't create. The world evolved. The world banged bigly. The world waited until the astronomical physicists and the cosmologists wrote down how it began, and then it began. But the Bible says, in the beginning, God created. What is creation? Creation is something man can't do. It is to make something out of nothing. In the beginning, God created. What did God create? He created the heavens and the earth. Now listen, that's the first verse of the Bible. Was it designed by God to be offensive to Bloomington? Do you run around the campus of IU or North or South High School or over in Ellisville, or are you just waiting to say to people that you run into at Walmart, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth because you know it's right next to, you know, Andrew Luck is better than Peyton Manning. You know, it's a it's conversation starter. You know, you go to the hairdresser and you say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everybody goes, Yahoo! Now, why? Because it's stupidity personified. Because if you want to blush, you just try saying that at the hairdresser. Everybody's like, do you burp in public too? It's a hairdresser, so that's, that's the one I use with the hairdresser. Over at Bill's Barbershop, it's not quite what we would say there. The Bible goes on to say in the first chapter that God... The Spirit of God was over the disorder, okay, the void. And then it shows how God goes flop, 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 flop. In other words, all of the work of creation is God making things out of nothing and then bringing down the butcher's cleaver on them, separating and distinguishing and dividing, right? Light night earth water, all according to their kind. And then the sixth day of creation, God makes man. Okay? The sixth day of creation. And man, the minute we get involved, we are unbelievably offended at what God did. It's like the closer it gets to us, the more opposed to God we are. God says that he created man out of the dust of the earth. God makes it very clear it was one man. One. And immediately, the most conservative Christians among us say, no, 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 it was a, it was a, uh, a tribe of hominids. Indistinguishable, you know? Genetics show us, you know, the genome project. I mean, it's just so very clear from science. I say, okay, I, I have a degree... from University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I say, God says. You say, well, yeah, Madison. 
I say, okay, I went to Boston, got my master's of divinity. I say, God said. And you say, you know, you, it's just you can't beat your ignorance out of Christians. You can take them to the best institutions, give them the best degrees. It just doesn't matter. They stay ignorant. Pick ignorant. I say, really? Okay. So let's think about Bloomington. What would Bloomington say? Well, Bloomington would say not God. Bloomington would say not created. Bloomington would say God's not the one that brought forward the animals. Bloomington would say God's not the one that separated the heavens from the earth. God's not the one that separated the sea from the dry land. Bloomington would say God didn't make man. Human beings evolved. Evolved. It wasn't a special, distinct act of creation. And if it was, it was allowing a tribe of hominids to develop, but not the specific making by God of one man from the ground. The Bible tells us that God made Adam from the ground and Eve from Adam's body. Now, we'll get there in a little while. We have to move our way through Sunday by Sunday. But Adam was made by God from the ground, one man. And then the Bible tells us, did you see what it said in in, in verse 26? Let us make man in our image. So the Bible shows six days of creation. It's a crescendo. It builds and builds and builds, you know. Have any of you ever been on the Boston Common for the 4th of July? We went every year. Okay, it builds and builds and builds until the howitzers are going over the Charles River and the pops, and it's the end of the 1812 overture. And you just think it's not going to get louder. And it's building and building. It's like the beginning of uh, Berlioz's Deum, you know, where the organ comes in. It's unbelievable. It's like the howitzers, and then the howitzers are firing, and and the pops is blowing, and the guy is waving, and all the people are cheering, and then the fireworks start. And this is God. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. And the howitzers are blowing. And then on the sixth day of creation, God makes man in their image. And we are in the image and likeness of God. Not panda bears. Not gorillas in the mist. Not chimpanzees. Man. Man. And so we have consciences. And we know right and wrong. And we know that we are like God. There's not a man on the face of the earth that doesn't know that. There's not one man on the face of the earth anywhere who has ever lived who has not known that he bears the image of God. He can be Jeffrey Dahmer. And he can do everything he can to eviscerate the holiness of God from his life and the life of every boy he touches. But Jeffrey Dahmer 
confess faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized by my friend in the penitentiary in, in Portage. Jeffrey Dahmer, in all of his degradation and wickedness, had the image of God. He knew that God is holy. And on the sixth day of creation, God makes man. And he makes man in his own image and likeness. And it's unbelievable the glory of man. Have you ever held a baby in your hands? I'm sitting there with Reza, my daughter-in-law of my youngest... No, she's not the daughter-in-law. She's my daughter-in-law, but she's married to my youngest son. They come over with this baby. And honestly, I look at the baby, and I know why Reza loves her baby. But for the life of me, I can't figure out why that selfish man, Taylor, loves anybody. That's his brother-in-law laughing. And I said to Taylor, Taylor, how did God get it so that you love this little boy? I was holding him. And he said, it's your own. And so... God not only makes man, but he gives him his image and likeness. And then he says what? Well, we saw it in the text. It says God blessed them. Now, this is really interesting because it's only here that you begin to have intimacy. This is the first intimacy in scripture. With verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them. Right? Every wife wants her husband to talk to her. Why? Well, because it's intimacy. (laughs) And so here's the beginning of intimacy in Scripture where God said to them. God wasn't talking to the panda bears. God wasn't talking porpi to porpi. Okay? God spoke to the being he created in his own image and likeness. And he blessed him. God spoke to man. Isn't that unbelievable that God speaks to us? Many of you, God has spoken. In reading the Bible to you this morning, God spoke to you. But many of you, through dreams and various things, have had God speak to you. God does speak to us. God is in relationship with us. God is intimate with us. And it begins right here where God said to them, what? God blessed them and God said to them. Now, you know that a blessing is not um, lacking in specificity. A blessing is not sort of general bonhomie, right? It's not just sort of cosmic feelings of good, right? You all know that. A blessing is specific, directed towards the future. And so when God blessed them, this is how he blessed them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Can we all admit that this was God looking at Bloomington in 2014 and saying, I'm going to write a chapter of the Bible that's going to blow their conceit apart? Do you understand what I mean by this? 
God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So you go into the hairdresser and you say first, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then second you say God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And that would be a real conversation starter. And the first thing that would be said was, well, what do you mean by fill? And I say, like, until it flows out. Until there's no room for anything else. And you say, well, the earth is filled. And I say, oh, really, the earth is filled. Filled with what? Men. And I say, the earth is filled with men, really? Huh. Do you know something? I once bought a new bed. Got one bed when we first got married, and then when we moved into our new house, we, I bought another bed. And do you know that I bought a king-size bed, right? And do you know when I bought the king-size bed from Brett Mishler, right? Do you know what I did a week later? My wife and I agreed. We're taking that bed, and we're putting it down in the guest bedroom. We don't like it. Do you know why we didn't like it? We didn't like it because the earth wasn't filled. And you go, come on, what do you mean? I say, well, we never touched each other as we slept. There was so much space in a king-size bed that we didn't know each other was there. And I didn't like it. And you say, oh, come on, that's a cheap shot. I don't know if it's a cheap shot, but we're now back on the bed we started with. It's queen size, and that suits us well. And we like to touch. Okay? And so how about your yard? You go outside, right, and immediately you're brushing shoulders with your neighbor? Well, not feel like that. Not saying that everywhere you go you're bumping against people. It's not like a Japanese subway. And I say, okay. So like when you get in the car and drive, you're always in a traffic jam? How about when you get in a plane? You're always looking at people underneath you? Listen, not one of you can deny that everybody in Bloomington says the earth is filled and we need population control. Nobody can deny that. And the earth is empty. So why do we need to not have children? God blessed us and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So why is there so much pressure on us not to have children? It must be because the earth is full. You know? And so the black sociologist or economist, I can't remember, his name's Tom Stoll. Soul. Soul, sorry. Stoll at Moody Bible Institute. Soul at Harvard. All right? So Tom Soul wrote up this, this thing. Let me read it to you. And he, says, he, he pointed out this about the earth being full. He says this. (sighs) 
At the time, in 84, there were 4.4 billion on the earth. And he said, all of them can live comfortably in the state of Texas. Quote, this is Sol. Every human being on the face of the earth could be housed in the state of Texas in a one-story single-family home, each with a front and a backyard. A family of four would have 6,800 square feet. About the size of the typical middle-class American home with front and backyards. Okay, so how much is 6,800 feet? Well, this is 10,000 feet. So I'm going to guess that it would be from here to that wall 6,800. Now, mind you, we don't have no skyscrapers. We're not talking Singapore. So what if we went vertical? Then how much space could all of the world have in Texas? So then they redid it in 1997. And then the population of the world was 5.84 billion, and the calculations were that it wouldn't be Texas anymore. It would now be the island of Bali in Indonesia. (laughs) Okay, so what's going on? Why does everybody spend money trying to prophylact and contracept and abort every new baby? Is it that the earth is full? Now, it's because man is a rebel against every command of God. And so what God was actually doing when he wrote Genesis 1 was he was writing a series of instructions and beliefs for Bloomington in 2014. And when he wrote them up, Bloomington in 2014 did just what God wanted us to do, which is Bloomington said to hell with that. We are going to make the earth in our image, and we are going to know good and evil, and we are going to defy point by point every single truth and every single command of God. That's what we're going to do. And so here's my question for you. Rebel, how's it going? How's it going? How's the rebellion working out for you? You know, do you feel like an uber-sophisticate? Do you think maybe you'll get an honorary doctorate? Do you think they recognize how wise you are? And when you turn 35 and you've decided that you're going to get an MBA and go into marketing at one of the Fortune 500 companies, and all of a sudden you realize menopause is coming on, you're just going to keep going on with that rebellion project? You're going to keep not having children? You're going to keep believing the lie that the earth is full? Huh? Or are you going to begin to wonder whether God isn't right? Are you going to begin to wonder whether the Bible is not him speaking to you? Are you going to begin to wonder whether man's wisdom may not, after all, be foolishness and God's wisdom be wise? How much of your life are you going to spend defying God? How much? So we have our ways of um, compromising. 
And compromise is the way you make the authority think you're obeying them when you're really rebelling against them, but you sort of shape-shift it so that he doesn't realize that it's rebellion, he thinks it's obedience. And so people say, well, you know, just because God says be fruitful and multiply doesn't mean I have to multiply. I give money to compassion. I sponsor a child in Africa. You know, I worked at an orphanage on a short-term missions trip. But I'm not going to get married. I will not be intimate with a man. I will not be intimate with a man. I hate men. I don't, I hide it. I don't let men know it. I smile at them, but I hate men. And if you think that I'm going to marry one and be dependent and vulnerable to a man, if you think I'm going to make love to a man, you're a fool. I will not be fruitful and multiply. I am woman. And the man says, to heck with that. You think I'm going to spend my life listening to a woman you know what at me when I get home from work? If I'm going to work, I'm going to play. And so there's no kitchen. There's no sex beginning in a kitchen. There's no intimacy. There's just toys and and pornography and movies and and Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. And my life is so exciting. And so... God made man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And he spoke to them, and he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And man says, I'm not going to be intimate with a woman. And woman says, I'm not going to be vulnerable to a man. And they both say, I'm not going to have children. And then the children are born, and they say, I'm going to hire somebody to take care of my children. I'm not going to waste my life being a mother. And here we are, and aren't we happy? And Margaret Sanger says, back in the early part of the 20th century, that if we just use birth control, we won't have any more murder, we won't have any more rape, we won't have any more fornication, we won't have any more homosexuality. Everybody will be happy because there will be free love without the consequences of being fruitful and multiplying. And so how's that working for us? Has the incest gone? Has the child abuse gone? Molestation gone? You know? Can I see the hand? Now, don't raise your hand. Can I see all the hands of people here who are so thankful that they weren't molested as children? Because Margaret Sanger saved us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made us. God wrote the image and likeness of his own character in us. God gave us a conscience. God showed us holiness. God said to us, here's the blessing, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then finally, remember I said, it's the curriculum for Bloomington written thousands of years ago so that we can hate it, right? And then finally, look at what he says. He says, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and, are you ready, subdue it. Subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Subdue it. (laughs) Subdue it. Right? Bloomington just loves that, right? Let me ask you. If you went to Spia and asked them how much of the earth we need to remove from any touching, any, any contact with man until we get to the point where we have enough wilderness, right? What do you think they'd leave man with? Bali. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Bali. Undoubtedly, they'd give us Texas. and Alabama, and Mississippi, right? Everywhere south of the Mason-Dixon line where all those ignorant people live. You know something? You talk to an environmentalist, to an environmentalist, man is the polluter. Man is not bearing the image of God. Man is not made in the likeness of God. Man is the polluter. And his progeny, his, his children, his descendants are the scum of the earth that corrupts the earth. And they would not stop, if they could, they would not stop until every single square inch of the universe was alone. And when it came to the final man, it would be like the ghetto in Poland when the Nazis were killing the Jews. And they keep requiring the Jews to send out another group. Every day they met their quota. And the Jews were the ones that chose which Jews would die next. Until finally, what happened? Finally, the only people left in the ghetto were the Jews that had been choosing which Jews would die. And guess what? The Nazis weren't bothered. They took those Jews and they killed them. And the job was done. And that's what... The wickedness of man is doing. Every evidence of God, every voice of God, every command of God, every truth of God is being systematically obliterated by the brains. And you're reduced to being embarrassed that you thought it was true. Remember my professor, my sociology professor? I'll tell this story tons of times. I'll tell it again. Very sophisticated, racial demographics. His whole life was spent showing how whites had oppressed blacks by not letting them live in their neighborhoods. And he did it through real estate records, right? Leo Schnorr, S-C-H-N-O-R-E. And one day he comes, and he used to, I've told you this before, he he chain-smoked through all the classes. This was back in the good old days. This is in Madison. There were probably 200 people in the class. And one day he shows up late. He's 15 minutes late. And there's perspiration pouring off him. He's sweating. And he's shaking. And he's late. Something's wrong. And he comes in and he's smoking like this, you know. And he's pacing up and down the platform. Back and forth. Back and forth. And he says, I started the Third World War. Well, then you know something isn't quite right. I mean, you know, you're prepared for most anything from a PhD. But that was a little over the top. 
And I'm right front and center because I found that I learn more if I sat up front and center, you know, because I've got this brain that won't listen, right? So I'm right front and center, and I just feel myself kind of, you know, slinking down in my seat, you know? It's like somebody's falling apart publicly, and I don't want to be here, you know? And he's pacing and pacing, and after he made the comment about starting the Third World War, He's quiet for a long time as he paces. And then he says, it all started 30-some years ago when I went off to school and they told me everything I believed was wrong. Now, which statement is true and which statement is false? Well, he didn't start the Third World War. And you say, well, and they didn't tell him everything was wrong. But, But that's what he said, and he was having a nervous breakdown. Do you think maybe it was true? And then he said this. Any of you remember? He said, is there anybody here who cares about what's happening to me? (laughs) Was that true? And then he just stares out at us. (laughs) And there I am, front and center. And I'm a Christian. And I have the image of God. And I have a conscience. And I know this man needs love. And I'm a Christian. And Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him take up his cross. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For if a man will lose his life, he'll save it. But if if he saves it, he'll lose it. And so there I am, and I look at him, and I say, I care. (laughs) The voice heard round the world. I didn't hear anybody else speaking up. (laughs) And so, Genesis 1, God gets done the work of six days, and he says what? He says, it is what? Very good. So who who are you going to believe? Let me make it as starkly clear as I can. You cannot, you cannot conform yourself to man's wisdom and to God's. The two are absolutely opposed to each other. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be an anti-intellectual. I mean, let, just for a second, let's be honest here. And let's admit that most of the great scientists and most of the greatest literary, most of the greatest composers have all been Christians. There, there, most people will tell you there's no higher work of art than St. Matthew's Passion or St. John's, depending on which side of the divide you fall on. Is there any music more glorious than St. Matthew's Passion? No, there is not. And how about the painters, right? How about the painters? And how about the poets? And how about the scientists? How about gravity? Was that significant? And how about Jerome Lejeune, the geneticist? Far and away the top geneticist of the 20th century. 
And he came over to America before he died. You know why he came over to America before he died? He came over to testify in that ignorant state of Tennessee to tell the court that all these little children who had been conceived in a Petri disc were actually human beings being held hostage in freezers. He referred to them in the court documents as the little babies in the fridge. Now, why would Jerome Lejeune, the greatest geneticist of the 20th century, testify in a courthouse in Tennessee about that? Because he was a Christian. Because he knew that man was made in the image of God. And so the Christians are always the ones that defend life. The Christians are the ones that start hospitals. The Christians are the ones that clean up pollution. The Christians are the ones that go in and visit people in jail. The Christians are the ones that start AA for the bondage of alcohol and narcotics. The Christians are the ones that start the university. The Christians are the ones that create English common law, which still has not come to Africa. Ding dong! Do you get my point? Well, my point, my wife is in the back going, no, (laughs) okay. My point is that it is only under the rule of law that we have freedom, that we have commerce, that we don't have a bunch of bullies who destroy their nation. People, you're so committed to listening to what the academics tell you who hate God that you don't see the reality that's staring you in front of your face every single day. It is Christians in a marriage of a male and female having children who don't commit suicide. The more children you have, the lower the incidence of suicide. Can you believe it? And if you talk to your wife and are intimate with her and will stop playing with your stupid toys and looking at pornography, guess what? She'll have more babies with you, if you can believe it. I mean, come on, come on, laugh. It's funny. Here's an idea. A woman with a man who's not looking at pornography wants to have babies. Or another way of saying it is a woman who's married to a man who plays and watches football and looks at pornography doesn't want to have any babies. In fact, she's going to turn into a lesbian. Why would she want a man? And so what are we? In the beginning, not God. In the beginning, not creation. In the beginning, man is not the image bearer. In the beginning, God did not give creation to be under man's authority. In the beginning, he did not separate it into Adam and Eve, but Adam and Steve. I tell you, it's Adam and Steve! And I say, dude, get a wife. Dude, get a wife. Why? Because I'm homophobic? No, no, it's as boring as boring can be. Sexual sin has been around forever, right? Mary Lee and I were in Madison, and our small group in our church was a lesbian woman and a homosexual man, right? And so we witnessed to them about the holiness of God and called them from their sin. It's just old, 
There's nothing new under the sun. God reveals in Genesis chapter 1 the curriculum for Bloomington in 2014. And at every point, at every point, you have a choice whether to take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. Every single point. And so, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? God, not me. I'm just trying to take scripture and make it as clear as clear can be. Are you going to trust God or are you going to desire to be the next conferee of the next honorary doctorate? Are you going to be a vulnerable woman who makes love to a man that's fruitful? Or are you going to be a tight woman? Are you going to be an honorable man that turns off his computer and goes to the kitchen and talks? Or are you going to be a man? Which is to say a woman. Listen, people. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And the best cross we can imagine is the cross of Genesis chapter 1. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? Huh? God never, ever lets us down. People will, but God won't. You put your life, your soul, you put your brain, you put your sexual reproduction parts in God's keeping. And the blessings and joys of your life will be astounding. And I'm here to bear witness to that. So who are you going to trust? Let's pray. Father God, you see us, you know our hearts, you know our bodies, you know our homes, you know our dorm rooms, you know the workplace, you know our cars. And you know how far, far down we have fallen from the glory of the Garden of Eden. But Father, we don't want to continue to rebel against you We don't want to continue to be in bondage to our unbelief. And so, Father, would you please clear out the muck of this world and its sophistication. And may we become wise. May we become truthful. May we become reasonable and logical and educated. May we become intellectual. Father, free us from the conformity of this evil world. And may we be remade in the image of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us, we pray in Jesus' name.